0: Several years ago, a book was published by the title of Church is a Team Sport. Do you believe that? Is church a team sport? And we may shrug off this idea of a sport, right? Because we don't want to denigrate the church as being a a sport. But it sure is interesting how often Paul uses sports analogies uh, throughout the scriptures. But it's not a sport. But there is something to this idea of teamwork and working together that we see throughout Scripture. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, a passage that you and I have talked about quite often, that as a church we ought to work together, that everyone has a place to feel, that everyone has a role, that everyone has something they ought to be busy doing. Remember what he says, Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 15, he says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Paul encourages the church. He says, look, guys, we all need to be involved. Everyone has something they can contribute. Everyone ought to be working according to the proper working of the body. And Paul exemplified this. Paul modeled this in his own evangelistic mission work. As we conclude our study of the book of Colossians today in Colossians chapter 4, we are going to find that Paul exemplifies teamwork in ministry, teamwork in missions. And we can, I suppose, extend that to talking about teamwork in the church. When Paul writes Ephesians chapter 4, he's not talking out of one side of his mouth and doing something else. He is talking as someone who has done this over and over again in his ministry. And many times we look at the tail end of Paul's letters and we see the language that he used to talk about different people in the churches that he's writing to. We say, oh, that's Paul just making nice. And it's easy for us just to skip over that part. But is there something more to this section? Is there something more to our understanding of what Paul's writing? So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to pick up Colossians chapter 4, about verse 7. As Paul wraps up his letter to the Colossian church, I want us to look at what he says about different individuals in this closing section and the conclusions that we can draw. We're going to notice, first of all, that there is a place for teamwork in the church. We're going to notice how we develop leaders, in the church. And then we want to think about what this means for Benbrook. So let's begin looking at Colossians chapter 4 and realize that Paul wasn't a loner, that Paul was someone who used teamwork in his work as an evangelist, as a missionary, as an apostle. Notice what he says, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, As to all my affairs, Tychius, our beloved brother and faithful servant, and fellow bondservant, and uh, a fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And so Paul says, first of all, I'm sending Tychius to you. Tychius is going to play postman. And at first glance, we might just say, okay, well, Tychius is going to come and bring some news about Paul because Paul's in prison in Rome. He can't get away, and so he's just going to carry this letter for the church at Colossae, or for Paul to the church at Colossae, and that's not that big of a deal. But I want you to notice how this is a function of teamwork. Paul wasn't simply entrusting Tychicus to carry his letter in his sack someone who worked closely with Paul. When Paul calls him a fellow bondservant, a fellow he's talking about a man that was willing to go to the death mat along with Paul. Notice what we read about Titus in other places. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He is someone that Paul is able to trust with work that he can't do. Now, 2 Timothy, I believe, is a letter that Paul writes to Timothy as he's facing trial perhaps a second time before Nero's court. But whether that's accurate or not, look what he says. Very simply, 2 Timothy 4.12. But Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. He's talking about what Timothy needs to do to come to Paul. But he says, look, Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. He's swapping places with you, perhaps, Timothy, uh, in going to Ephesus. He's going to work with the church in Ephesus. He was someone that Paul could trust to carry on his work when Paul wasn't able to go there. And remember, we're just talking about the folks that Paul mentions here in Colossians chapter 4. Obviously, he trusts Timothy. Obviously, he trusts Titus to go to places to take care of some heavy-duty teaching that was needed in some of those places. But Tychius was a man uh, who encountered some different things. So I'm thinking of Arstochus, the next person. But, but notice Titus chapter 3 and verse 12. Again, in that context, he says, When I send Artemis or Tychius to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. And so this was a man that Paul truly trusted to carry on work that Paul himself couldn't do. This isn't just flowery language that Paul's using to wrap up his writing uh, to the church of Classe. This was a team effort. Others were involved. They are working together to accomplish the work that needed to be done. Come back to Colossians chapter 4. We skip down to verse 10. Paul says, Arstachis, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom if you, re- you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so Paul talks about Arsticus. Arsticus was one who was willing to go to the mat with the Apostle Paul and traveled around with Paul quite frequently. We see him a number of times in scriptures. Look at Acts chapter 19 and verse 29. As Paul is facing conflict and as Paul is facing persecution himself, Arsticus gets carried away by those who would do harm to Paul. This is in Ephesus. Uh, when the uh, idol makers were so upset because Paul was converting so many people that they were starting to not make a profit on building and making their idols. Those silversmiths, poor old guys, weren't able to make as much. And so the crowd is in uproar. The city is in uproar. Verse 29 says, The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Arsticus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So to say that Arstechus is just one that Paul just mentions and and says something just to make nice, we miss who Arstechus really was to Paul. He was with Paul evidently for quite a long time in Paul's mission work. And in Ephesus, he was the one. Paul, Paul tries to get into the arena, which in Ephesus was quite large, uh, to, to uh, address the crowds, I suppose, and everyone else says, no, you can't go in there. Look, Arsticus and Gaius are already down there. I'm sure they were concerned about what was going to happen to their lives, to their well-being. These weren't guys that were just going along with Paul to be in an entourage. These weren't just groupies in a rock band wanting to go along and see all the glory in the party life. These were guys that were working hard with Paul partners with him in his teaching and encountering and facing some of the same things that Paul did encounter. 27, verse 2. After Paul appeals to Caesar when the Jews are wanting to kill him in Jerusalem, and he's held in prison in Palestine uh, for a couple of years, and finally he makes his appeal to Caesar. And... Off to Rome he goes. But look what happens Acts chapter 27, verse 2. And in embarking in an Andromatan ship, which was uh, to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Arsticus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. How close was Paul and Arstochus? Close enough that when Paul went to, to Rome to face trial for his life, Arstochus said, Paul, I'll go with you. Paul, you're going to face capital punishment? I've got your back. Now, I'm going to tell you. I've done some prison ministry, not a whole lot, some. I've been in some jails. Uh, I've, I've been in every jail in Dallas County. Don't tell the people at the school board that. Uh, but I've been in every jail in Dallas County, or in the city of Dallas, at, at, at some point. But you know what? After my 30 minutes, I've got to go home, Right? I got to get in my car. The Roman custom of the time was that if you were a Roman, a Roman citizen that was a prisoner, you could have someone take care of you. But they had to be in chains with you. They had to be in the same level of security and confinement that you were. And Arsticus says, Paul, I've got you back. When Paul calls a fellow servant, a fellow bond servant, a fellow prisoner, he's not just using flowery language. This was teamwork that Paul had in his ministry. What about John Mark and Justice? Look at verse 10 as we come back to Colossians chapter 4. These were also men that were traveling with Paul or working with Paul. kiss my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Also Barnabas' cousin, uh, Barnabas's cousin Mark. And then verse 11, and also Jesus who is called justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Paul says, I need encouragement. Paul, the great apostle. Paul, the guy that goes out and so many people are coming to him in Ephesus that... that, uh, Uh, The value of the magic books that people were burning was a lifetime's salary. People were coming to drop their handkerchiefs on Paul just so that he might touch them, that they might take them back to people that they thought, uh, or, or people that were ill so that they could be healed. That great Paul needed encouragement. These were men that were with him that Paul could send on missions that Paul could send of teaching, that Paul could go, uh, or send to congregations he couldn't get to, to strengthen those congregations. But they also were an encouragement to Paul. And then Paul says, "Those were the Jewish." Look at the team. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. I'm going to talk about Demas in just a moment. But there are Jewish Christians that were part of Paul's team, but there are also Gentile Greek Christians that were part of his team, and they were all working together to accomplish the work that needed to be done. And Colossae, as a church, needed to work as a team. There are some problems in the church at Colossae. And we're introduced to those. That's why Paul writes this letter. Remember, Paul had never been to Colossae. These were not Christians that Paul had studied with, that Paul had baptized, that Paul had led to a knowledge of Scripture, but Epaphras was the one that had done that. And so as Paul writes to these Christians, he says in verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Uh, with deep concern. There was something going on in the church at Colossae, and it was troubling. And so Paul is addressing it, and that's what this letter is all about. He talks about uh, the role of Christ and Christology, as modern scholars would call it. Jesus really was not in the flesh. He really did come and die. Uh, You don't have to follow Judaizing teachers. You don't have to beat your body uh, in order to be a good Christian. You don't have to uh, use physical pain to drive out temptation from yourselves. And so Paul's addressing all of that errant teaching because it was a problem in the church at Colossae. And all the things that we've studied about over the last few weeks, where Paul says, speak to one another with gentleness and forbearance and understanding and kindness and compassion and love. This was a church that was on the fringes of backbiting and beating each other up. And they needed teamwork. And so Paul says, Epaphras, I've got to tell you guys, he's here with me now. But as I've listened to him talk about you, and as I've uh, seen the things that he has said about you, that he really loves you. And he's concerned about this church. Not only is he concerned about uh, the church at Colossae, but he's concerned about the church at Hierapolis, and he's concerned about the church in, in Laodicea, which doesn't mean necessarily a whole lot to us, but they're all there in the same river valley, just a few miles apart from each other. He's concerned about the church and all that region. Paul says, I swear to you, this man is praying for you. You see, part of the teamwork that was needed and part of the teamwork that was present in the church at Colossae, a man of Epaphras and perhaps others like him who were devoted in the church. And then he says, Onesimus is here. Look at verse 9. One of your number. It's important for Paul to stress this because you remember the companion letter to Colossians is Philemon. And Paul says in verse verse 9, and with Tychius is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of your number. Remember, as we look at Philemon and Colossians together, it becomes apparent that Onesimus in whatever way escapes from Philemon who's his slave owner, makes his way to Rome, finds Paul, talks with Paul, and evidently studies with Paul, and becomes a Christian. And now Paul says, as he writes this letter to the church of Colossae, he's now one of your number. Welcome him back. Part of the conflict that was going on there, evidently, revolved around Onesimus. And he says, together, Nesmus and Tychius will tell you how I'm doing. Imagine what it would have been like to be a Christian in the first century, and you... Yeah, You have some great teachers. You have some great apostles, Peter, but Paul. And those were names, evidently, that were well-known in the brotherhood. And all of a sudden, you find out that Paul's been arrested, and he's facing capital punishment. Do Do you think people in the brotherhood were concerned what was going to happen? I mean, you didn't have the Christian Chronicle then, but I bet news got around, right? You didn't have Gospel Advocate or whatever your brotherhood magazine that you might like is. Yeah. They're concerned about this. And so Paul says, they're going to tell you uh, about what my condition is. But there are problems in the church there. And we turn over to Philemon uh, chapter 2, or Philemon verse 2 rather. There's only one chapter in Philemon. I do know that. Okay? But when you look at the book of Philemon, look at how verse 2 opens. Or verse 1 and 2. Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother... To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. This letter, basically or primarily sent to Philemon, scholars debate who these other folks are. That maybe Aphia is Philemon's wife, and maybe Archippus is their son. Or there are some scholars that think, well, maybe Archippus was. Kind of the fill-in preacher. Paphras, why, Paphras is in Rome with Paul. We don't really know that for sure. You No way to, to know. But it talks about the fact that Philemon, good to, to conclude that they are husband and wife. And the church that meets in your house. It's probably the case that Philemon was a wealthy member of the community. And he had a house, and, and wealthy members of Greek and Roman society would have a house uh, that w- were, were large, even by our standards. And you would have an outer court, and you would have a, a, a large foyer uh, where people could come and congregate. And evidently, Philemon uh, had a house like that where the church could come and worship in his house. They didn't have to go to rent the the facility, right? It was a house big enough that the church could come and worship in. And so they're writing to them, okay? Uh, And so that's teamwork of having folks that pray, having folks that work, having folks that use their resources to provide for the things that the church needs. But Colossae was was a church that was struggling, and they needed teamwork together. Teamwork also builds leadership. So we can talk about teamwork in the church. About teamwork, we need people that can lead. And we see Paul demonstrating the development of leaders in the way that he can be an evangelist and as a missionary. Think about it as we come back to Colossians chapter 4, for instance, John Mark. Now, some of you have heard me talk about John Mark. I hope you're not bored. Okay. But John Mark is interesting to me, as some of you know. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, Arstechus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so who is this Mark? Well, Mark we, we first introduced to in Acts chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. This is the occasion in which Peter has been arrested The Jewish leadership wants to kill him. They've already killed James, the brother of John. And now they want to kill Peter. But before that happens, an angel of the Lord comes and lets Peter out. And so Peter escapes through miraculous means. And notice what happens, Acts 12, 11, and 12. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Isn't this interesting? That John Mark was a young man, known well enough to Luke's audience that when he says they came to the home of John Mark, people knew who that was, evidently. I wonder if this Mary is one of the Marys that's mentioned as following Jesus along with his own mother Mary. It would be an interesting concept. It would be an interesting idea if we could find that out. Nobody can know, I suppose. But you see, John Mark was a young man, and he's watching all of this happen. A little bit later, Acts chapter 12 and verse 25, after the Holy Spirit says, I want you to set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to do the work that I have called them to do. They take John Mark with them on the missionary journey. Now, when we look at what Paul says in Colossians, it's no wonder because he's Barnabas's little cousin. And Barnabas wants to take his cousin with him. And so they do. But you know what happens about halfway through the trip, before they make landfall in Asia, John Mark bells on him. We don't know why for sure. But when it gets time to take the next trip, Paul and Barnabas have an argument as to whether or not they want to take him. Uh, I think Paul was a demanding guy. Because it wasn't necessarily sin involved with John Mark saying, I'm going to bail on you guys. And again, we don't know why he bailed on him. It says that he returned back to uh, Syria. But he bails on him. And, and, and Paul's taking that guy again. He didn't finish. Acts chapter twelve, there's such a, or Acts chapter fifteen, there's there's such a, dis, a discussion, disagreement between Paul and Barnabas that they split up, and Barnabas takes John Mark, and Paul goes with Silas. But as we come back here and we look at Colossians chapter four. Several years later, perhaps maybe even a decade or two, I suppose, is possible, as we come back to Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, hey, look, if John Mark comes to you, you've already received instructions. Paul's already talked to them in some way. How many letters did Paul send to the church at Colossae? Well, at least three, or at least two, if you count the letter of Laodicea, and and, and apparently a third one, because he said, you've already received instructions. If John Mark comes to you... Receive him. You see, teamwork, or leadership rather, includes the idea of forgiveness. And watching someone mature. And having patience with folks as they mature because John Mark evidently was a young man that needed to mature in his commitment in doing what he said he was going to do. So that after the Church of Colossae, he later writes 2 Timothy. And when he writes Timothy a second time, he says... Pick up John Mark on your way to meeting me because he's useful to me. He went from being the guy that Paul couldn't trust to that's useful to him. And of course, the Apostle Peter in his letter, 1 first, first Peter 5.13, talks about my son Mark. And there are many scholars who believe that John Mark was the ghostwriter, or at least heavily relied on Peter, to write the gospel that now carries his name the Gospel of Mark. Of course, we can't that for sure. That's speculation, but it sure is tantalizing to think about. The point is, is that John Mark grew and mature in his faith, and that's leadership or developing leadership. As we look at this closing passage of Colossians, it's not just a list of names that we pass over, but there is lessons here for us in how you build the church. It takes teamwork, and teamwork builds leadership. And then we see this message to our Chippas. Chapter 4, verse 17. Look at Colossians 4, verse 17. Paul says, Say to our Chippas, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Remember, we just saw him in Philemon, chapter, or Philemon, verse 2. Uh, among those that Paul specifically addresses. And this is why some scholars think, well, maybe he was filling in. Maybe he was holding the place of Epaphras while Epaphras was away. Again, pure, pure speculation. You can't know that for sure. But he had some sort of ministry, some sort of service that everyone in the church at Colossae knew about. And Paul's reminding him, Paul's encouraging him, get on with it, man. Do the work that you've been called to do. Leadership development sometimes includes encouraging folks to use the skill and ability that you have in serving God. And sometimes there are setbacks. We've already noted that Paul mentions Demas in verse 14, but if you turn over to 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, Paul tells Timothy, Demas has been taken for the love of the world and gone back to Thessalonica. He's abandoned me because of the love of the world and gone back to Thessalonica. What does that mean for love of the world? If Paul in 2 Timothy really is about to lose his life at the hands of Nero, and Demas is in prison with him, I could see how Demas might say, "Uh, Paul, it's all good and great and everything that you're willing to lose your life, but I've got some kids at home. I've got a wife at home. We don't know if he had either of those. But I could see how Demas might say, I'm going to sit this one out. Uh, maybe it was that Demas decided that he was going to marry. You know, Paul is good in 1 Corinthians saying, you know, it's better if people aren't married because you can get more evangelistic work done. That's the paraphrase. He says, not everyone's like me. Spouse, You're consumed with taking care of your spouse. And I don't know if that's what Demas was dealing with or not. But you see, sometimes as a church we have setbacks. Plans that we think we're going to have or people that we think are going to be involved suddenly aren't there anymore for whatever reason. It's not necessarily a sinful reason. About a dozen years ago, I was at a church planting workshop. And uh, one of the interesting statistics that they talked about was the fact that the average person, or on average, a person's... Is in a congregation for seven years, and then they're gone. Now, that may sound like a lot to you, a long period of time. It may sound like a short Think about all the people that grew up in a church, and they never leave that church. Think about retired folks that once they are retired, they stay in one congregation until the day of their death. And, I mean, that, you're talking about a lot of years. Well, what that means is there's someone that's staying very briefly to make that seven years, a short period of time. You see, sometimes we plant a church. Sometimes in the world, uh, we see someone go, and they're not here very long, and then they're gone. And, and maybe that's due to sinful things in their life. Maybe it's due just to the fact that their job relocates them. Maybe because different things happen in their life, just not around anymore. And as we look. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, there are things that, can, that we can learn from about the fact that as a church, we need to work as a team, and we need to build leaders, but we also need to understand that part of leadership is not letting setbacks drive us so deeply into depression or get us down so that we stop working. We need to finish the race. We need to be encouraged to go on. And so as we think about the church at Benbrook, how can we be a team? How can we work as a team? I want to tell you that I love this church because we have excellent participation. And you guys don't need me to tell you that. You guys are involved. Everyone that's here is heavily involved in the work of this church and has been since the time that you arrived. And we have great love. For one another, we can embarrass Mike in Bible class all day long, and uh, you know, and, and do that out of love. And he's like, "Oh, that's fine, Ron. Go ahead." You know, we can incur, you know, laugh with each other, and we do have great love and concern for one another, and, and we have great enthusiasm. I want us to continue that enthusiasm for our uh, for reaching out. Continue that. Don't let that die. But I want us to be prepared to face the challenge. Sometimes there are discouraging things that happen. Sometimes we don't grow as fast as we want. Sometimes we uh, uh, face conflict. Sometimes someone loses a spouse. And the weight of that is so great that they can't come. Sometimes we have folks that their work schedule changes and we don't see them anymore. Sometimes we see folks move out of the area. And as we do evangelistic work, sometimes we're going to face some challenges. We need to hit those rapids and work as a team and not let those setbacks discourage us. And we need to develop leaders. As we continue to work as a church, we want to see the men of this congregation develop into leaders. They can be elders, that can be deacons, that can step into different roles. We want to see the ladies of this congregation. I really don't need to mention the ladies of this congregation. Teach our children's classes, at least some of them, and continue to be involved. That's kind of like talking to the choir here. But we want to win the race. We want to keep going. And we want to paddle through to the end so that on some great morning, the Lord's going to call a psalm and He's going to talk about the members of the Benbrook Church and recognize each of you for the work that you've done in his kingdom. And we can do that and we can save more souls when we work as a team. And we can look at what Paul writes in Ephesians and in Colossians and be encouraged because this was a man who operated his missions, his evangelism, as someone who built teams, who developed leaders and never discouraged, became discouraged to the point of giving in. He was willing to die for the gospel. And as the church at Benbrook, we want to be willing to take the gospel to this community and never give in. And if we do that, we will finish the race and God will be glorified. If you're here this morning and you have needs that you want the church to be aware of, for the church to pray, Or maybe you want to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. Whatever your need, won't you come? As together, we stand and sing.